Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, The Ringer SC. I'm Miss Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks. How are you? Welcome back to Britain. <laughs> this is our first ever Stadio Podcast recorded fully in, in Britain. In, in England. No, it's not. We interviewed Ian Wright and Gary Lineker. <laughs> oh no, this is no, that's different. On the ringer, on the ringer, on the ringer, on the ringer network. It's not the yeah, Premier League. Stadio did not exist. It's like football. Didn't exist before. It's like, the, it's like the, when the NBA goes global. Global exactly. games. Exactly. Wow. That's, talk about self-hype. We're okay, like when okay. the NBA this, goes global. This is our first time back in the UK in three years, two and a half years. Long time. And uh, we've got a lot of football to get through. Oh my goodness. We do, we do. Um, well, first of all, a bit of admin. Well, actually, first of all, how are you? Can I say I'm very grateful. Ellie Bernstein, Stadio listener, when I was in Oxford, seeing my uh, one of my lovely, beloved old tutors. Um, Eddie's a studio listener. We had a great chat about Montaigne and Shakespeare. Uh, and then also thanks to Jacob Stack, who made me a beautiful illustration. Oh yeah, that was lovely. We yeah, from my birthday. It from account. I just thought I'd mention those because it's just such nice, it's really nice when you bump into people like sort of out and about and also they send you nice stuff. So yeah. Uh, and also very quickly, thank you to people that came to, I think I mentioned this before, but people came to the Belfast reading I did. You did? Just, yeah, studio listener. So yeah, thanks a lot nice. for that. So yeah. I'm good. That's what I'm saying. I'm very good. I'm very grateful. Well, let's do some admin really quick. So first of all, hope everyone else is staying safe and well, getting vaccinated if you can. Yep. Yep. If you haven't bought them already, they're available for another three weeks. Stadio number eight sweaters. Go to weareprintsocial.com forward slash Stadio or go to the pin tweet on our Twitter page. Uh, All of the money is being donated to the Trustle Trust, all of the uh, profits and uh, Stadio tote bags are available as well. This week, there's a change to the schedule. So Stadio today, right his house as normal on Wednesday. And then, so this week, the reason we're both here is because we're doing a little bit of a, like a right his house live panel with Barclays. And Emma Hayes is going to be chatting to us. So cool. What we're going to do is we're going to record that and we're going to put it up on Friday as a bonus episode. That'll be up around the same time that Stadio goes up usually. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the Ring of FC feed this week. And then next week, we'll both be back in Berlin and we'll be recording the 200th episode of Stadio. 
Absolutely wild. 200. <laughs> Why have Incredible. people let us get away with this for so long? <laughs> Don't tempt them. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Couple of pieces going up on the ringer uh, on the ringer.com forward slash soccer this week. One from you and one from me, finally, if I managed to get mine wrapped. Um and yeah, Stadio Outros plays on Spotify. All the music we play out on each episode is there in one handy playlist. And I think that's everything for admin. Feels like about it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, so today we're gonna do a couple of Premier League bits. We're gonna do some very late drama in La Liga. Yeah. We're going to do a couple of derbies and uh, also someone fetch that Cobra some Prosecco because shit is going down, down in down, the Italian down. capital. Yeah, yeah. And we'll also whiz past Germany very quickly. We will. So let's do it after this. All right, man, shall we begin at the London Stadium? We must begin there. We must. Probably the biggest result of the weekend. I would the say... League. I would say of the weekend, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so, because I think it's, you know, so West Ham beat Liverpool 3-2. And it's not just a great result for West Ham, but in terms of David Moyes' trajectory, um, you know, since those bleak times after Manchester United and the trouble at Sociedad, for him to return mm. to this point is really, really just wonderful for him mm. and for West Ham. Can I say this as well, before we get to the analysis of the game? I'm just really glad West Ham fans got to see, get to see this team in a full stadium. Yeah, this is the real joy for me um, in relation to the result. But yeah, so let's get into it. West Ham, Liverpool. Okay, so uh, okay, a couple of dodgy decisions, I think. Interesting. Let's start with the dodgy ones, or the ones that people said were contentious. Mm. So Allison's own goal. Allison's own goal. Yeah. Is it a foul? <sighs> I feel the same way about both of these decisions. I've seen them both given. And I, okay, let's start with this one. The Allison foul. Um, I don't think it's foul. I don't think so. I don't think so, actually. I don't think it is. Nope. I can I, see why people may think he was impeded, but I think mm. he's been impeded of his own accord, if that makes sense. I think his positioning wasn't the best. I think he came late and I think he was playing catch up from the first step he took, I think. Mm. I think he was scrambling ever since he took his first step. And I think that's where the problems began. Because after that, you're basically running into a scrum and then it's a hostage to fortune. And I, I don't think the first one was a foul. I, I no, could have I seen don't. why. I think it would have been a harsh, but it I could have, have seen, really given, give, given yeah. in, the con- in the context of like goalkeeper protection, I could see why that would have been given. But I thought, I would have thought, hmm, unlucky West Ham there. Yes. Yeah. Trent got a lovely free kick for, for the equaliser. It's a glorious, glorious yeah, But that came long after the second contentious decision. Mm. which was Cresswell's tackle on Jordan Henderson. Out on the flank. Which he did not uh, receive a card for. Uh, this is the thing, because he, he did get a big chunk of the ball, but it's the way he went in, isn't it? See, I think this is a red. It's, it's intent, isn't it? It's intent, I isn't it? I think this is a red. I think this you know, is a red card. Again, both the decisions, if I've seen them given, I'm like, yeah, I see that. I see the logic. Mm. I see the logic in goalkeeper protection, and similarly, I see the logic with Yes, he did get a chunk of the ball, but the way that he went in, mm. if we're talking about the context of, you know, those preventing his ankle shattering tackles and then you, you don't allow those. Especially after, was it a Holgate one against Spurs? Which right. I think is a yeah. different tackle, but a lot of people were sharing screenshots of the same freeze frame, which I don't really think helps. Doesn't help. Doesn't frames, doesn't a lot, help yeah. Some guy kept doing that to me after the Hummels red card the other day. It's just like, 
yeah, I get it. But uh, screenshots next to each other don't really help so much because it's a moving thing. Like if, I stand, ne- if I stand next yeah, to you yeah, yeah. and take a screenshot of me holding my finger in front of your eye and it looks like I'm poking your eye out. Which has happened on this podcast. I've never poked your eye out. I've never poked your eye out. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not Mourinho. Just building narrative, <laughs> I <don't>, like <laughs> randomly gouging grown can, men's eyes out. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, I think West Ham got away with one. They didn't need. They didn't get away with two. I don't think. Um, mm. However, there was still a lot of game to play, and Liverpool still had a lot of the ball, and Liverpool still had a lot of chances. And I thought West Ham. Now we've got the decisions out of the way. Focus on the actual football. This reminds me of Liverpool Leicester last last season. That's a really good shout. That do you yeah. know in the sense that like. The, Liverpool was it was equal and you were like, okay, Liverpool will kick on. And they're like, oh, they're not kicking on. And I think in this case, like, you know, the and it's an, I know it's an intangible, but the absence of Firmino, yeah, big I think is a big I think it just has that impact throughout the team in terms yeah. of the intensity. Not that Jota's not a great player, but what Firmino does in world football, really nobody else does to that level of proficiency. Like at that level, like in terms of that specific role, mm. the the pressing nine, I, I just Leading the, I just don't think anyone else coordinates it like that. I think it's important in games like this, when you're away from home against a very good West Ham team, that extra intensity is what costs you. And again, I'm not blaming Jota. It's just in terms of, it's the knock-on effect mm. because football's all about tiny margins. For example, if you look at the first half, I was I was slightly frustrated with West Ham because they weren't crashing the six-yard box. Yeah, a few times. You know, I saw them and I thought, I get why you're doing. I get why you're conservative because you overcommit. Liverpool kill you on the break. I get it. And it was you know. They were right. It worked out. They basically were like, let's stay in our bag. Let's wait for the set pieces, which is kind of what, let's wait for the set pieces and the counter, which they did. Which is to what perfection. all of their goals, yeah. Like the 4 yeah. Nels one was perfect. And, and yeah. It was a lovely nice. finish, actually. Oh, it was a glorious finish. Yeah, really nice and low. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there were some just really, really nice finishes in this game. Like, obviously, Trent's free kick. Mm. Origi's goal was absolutely amazing. It's lovely the way he could. It was a controlled so finish. Controlled finish. But oh. I have to say, my favourite is still the Kurt Zuma because Kurt Zuma... The run and the hang time is like a fadeaway jump shot. And also the way that he identifies that and the way he moves and drifts across, like it was like a fadeaway because it was like, well, like an alley-oop in the sense that like- it, No, that's what I thought. It was like, yeah. you know, the uh, inbound alley-oop on the buzzer yes. to win the game. Yes, yes, yes. That, it was exactly that. Yeah, good, good, good. that's a better shout. It was an alley-oop. It's the way that he drifts and follows the line of the ball and hangs with it as it's moving. And like, there's some, there's some big characters in the Liverpool defence. And he eluded yeah. all of them. And what I love about this goal for Zuma is he deserved a bit of a headline point because I think he's an absolutely brilliant player who's gone slightly under the radar in terms of, I think he's been slightly unlucky with, you know, the clubs he's been at, maybe injuries and just, you know, but he is in a different, a different universe. Kurt Zuma is starting for, regularly starting for the best teams in the world. Mm. Now, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to see him kind of ascending at the same time, at the same time, so West Ham are ascending as well. The one thing I want to say about this game was <clears throat> the slight anxiety I had. It's quite funny. Five minutes before Fornals scored, I was like, oh, I wish they still had Jesse Lingard because I'm like, oh, this is yeah. just the kind of run. <laughs> Fornals then made five minutes later exactly the kind of run that Lingard has made his hallmark. So I'm like, nah, they're good. They're good without him. I'd love, I'd love Lingard to go back to West Ham. Just because imagine what he'd bring to this squad. It'd be so good. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm, in hindsight, not a, Dreadful day for Liverpool because they only lost really like a point ground on the top. Exactly. I mean, Chelsea I know had City, a weird result against Burnley. Yeah, yeah. I know finishing. City went above them, and obviously West Ham went above them. Mm. 
But I think in terms of like West Ham are going to take points off people at the London Stadium this season, it's and it's getting that yeah. it's getting to that point of the season. Like we said it on Rice's Rice's house last week about how we're getting to that weird stage of the season where people like the positions will uh, switch around quite a lot and probably normalise for the rest of the season or yeah, yeah. as we get had in the case last season with West Ham and Leicester when they kind of drop off towards the end. And Villa as well, to be honest. And Villa, Look yeah. Villa's strong early start, you know. We'll talk about Villa in a little bit, but um, for Liverpool, it's their first defeat in any any competition this season. Um, But I, I think it's... No just, shame uh, in that. This no, is a really November, good West Ham team. November, under the lights, at West Ham, it's a home. really good West Ham team. Yeah, it's a it's really, good, really West good, Ham good team. Yeah, exactly. I know Klopp was unhappy. I agree with him definitely about about the the Cresswell challenge, but um, just an amazing, amazing result for West Ham. They're in the third in November, and there's a really interesting thing going around the Europe at the moment. Where so you have Lons and Nice second and third in Liga. Mm. You have Real Sociedad top of La Liga. Yeah. And you have Freiburg third in the Bundesliga in November. That's really, yeah, that is, that speaks a lot to the quality of the coaching, actually. And actually, if you think about it as well, well, Napoli, let's say Napoli, Napoli top of, say, uh, and it's a top three of Napoli, Inter and Milan. Which Napoli, is, uh, which big is just surge, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the coaching, the it's the coaching. Energy. It's the coaching. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think this is the good, the great thing about the Premier League at the moment is that it would be an incredible achievement, but I don't think it would shock me to see a Leicester or a West Ham in the top four. No, not at all. Like maybe not Leicester more so now, but like I think this season, for example, West Ham, they've been knocking on the door a little bit. It wouldn't surprise me because of the intensity of the games over the last couple of years and also just the quality of the coaching deep down the league, as you've mentioned time and time again before. It will happen at one point, you know. Right. And there's, we can, we, people, can assume, people are going to assume that Conte will supercharge Spurs. Well, will he get the range of goal scoring from the Spurs players? That's the real question. I, I, exactly. I genuinely think that people would, would be... It'd be good for people to almost write off Spurs this season and let Conte work if they genuinely want results from Conte. Yeah, yeah. Let him work. Like, this, is, this isn't, uh, I don't think this is as stacked a squad as that Chelsea squad was as well. No, I, I will say this. There were some encouraging signs against Everton. I really liked how he was using Lo Celso, for example. Um, so yeah, some really encouraging signs there. But in relation to, to West Ham and just full credit to them, you said this before, square pegs and square holes. Suchek Rice access is just, is wonderful. And yeah. Rice has just, you know, Rice has been brilliant for a while. But just on one, he's for like elevated what? this season. Yeah, just been, yeah, he has, he has, he has elevated. Yeah. Like all of them kind of have. I think they're all locked in. Ever's bought into the plan. And there's a unity now. If you look at like, my goodness, you compare this with like a couple of years ago, West Ham fans addressing the board with good reason, like with a lot of frustration. And look at it now, a couple of years later, it's just. It's incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. Everyone's bought into it. I, I'm slightly not concerned. I, I mentioned the Lingard thing only partly in jest because I'm just concerned about the amount of um, mileage on Antonio. Yeah, they could do with looking for a striker in January, West Ham. It's, it's a real shame Haller didn't work out, but I understand it because I think there's a player that needs rhythm. If you look at him at Ajax now, rhythm, game time and the style, you know, Ajax playing the front foot, whereas West Ham are the counter. He likes the ball into feet. Like he, you know, he, watching, watching Zlatan against um, Inter in the derby and Haller for West Ham are kind of like, when you're countering or isolated, just not their game. They like it in defeat the whole time. So it just wasn't going to work in retrospect. But yeah, I hope they can get in maybe a couple of players to, um, 
to give some squad support. I hope he doesn't leave, and I, but I don't know what's going to go on with him. But do you know who would be a really, really handy signing for, for West Ham is Lacazette, actually. Oh, that's a great shout. You know, he's going in the last year of his contract. and um, They'd love him there. And that would score. be such... Do you know what? I actually think if Arsenal aren't going to keep him, <laughs> to be honest, you're selling to a, essentially a direct rival at the moment. At this point, yeah, the way Arsenal you know, are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not entirely sure that they would actually sanction that. But for, mm. for a West Ham point of view, and for Lacazette, actually, I think as well, if he's not going to stay at Arsenal, I think he could do a lot worse than that. The skill set, actually. Although, my, 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 although if he yeah. does leave Arsenal, I suspect he'll go back to France. Mm. Slightly slept on player Lacazette, I think. Yeah. I think in terms of the configure, I think he's been slightly hard done by. If you think about him being brought in and the kind of the confusion of position and roles, I, I just think if you gave him a conventional nine spot at maybe half the teams in the league, mm-hmm. you'd start seeing really exciting gains, I think. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's a, a bit of a shame. It is a shame. Um, quick shout out to uh, Burnley for that point against Chelsea on Saturday. Yeah, they hung um, tough. They really hung tough. They, although, really, yeah, they hung in can there. I, can, I say, can I say though, Chelsea's finishing. They make, look, I love, I love Chelsea's approach paper. They, they do make very, very hard work of finishing at times, I have to say. They did. So, they, yeah. they, Barkley hit that one that just went, that was a proper like, Oh, that was, yeah. That was delightful. Then he skied, he skied a much easier one, which was mm. a shame. But that, they know, that, that, but not to be too quickly, I think that's a, that's a game rhythm thing as well. Yeah. Just not, he's not in the flow, I think. That's a, fair to see. Uh, Palace beat Wolves 2-0 and are going great guns. They're on a lovely little Playing some great stuff and, too, yeah. Yeah, really nice. Um, our tears of the XG gods the were XG falling gods. on Saturday <laughs> evening. <laughs> the based XG gods. <laughs> uh, Brighton 1, Newcastle 1, 1. 1.41. <laughs> to 0.37 XG. I don't know why that tickles me so much. Every time it's just I, so, it's just, just so funny. That it's narrative, so funny. whether it's right or wrong, will never not be funny. It's just so um, funny. Keep pushing it. Norwich beat Brentford 2-1 and then um, sacked Daniel Farker afterwards. Um, obviously, Villa lost on Friday night to Southampton and parted ways with Dean Smith. Actually, shouts to Southampton. They're in a nice little run of form as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that's 10 points from the last 12 uh, in the league. Um, maybe we'll talk about Farker and Smith in a minute. But uh, Thomas Frank was so impressive after the game. And actually, so was Thomas Tuchel after the Chelsea game. Both of them were just like performances. Performances are the important thing. I'm happy with the performance. Like they were happy with the performances of both their sides. Very, very calm. No grumbling. Just like, we'll be fine. Thomas I Frank love that like, whole we'll energy. It's, like, it's a long season. Yeah. Are we in, and this is, the, this is the key. Do you know what I love about the performances emphasis? We'll get into this in the Manchester Derby in relation to that. It's the direction of travel, ultimately. Like, mm. Liverpool can lose, they can lose 3-2 to West Ham, but ultimately, I've got a bit of a kind of, my view on this is a bit of devil's advocate. I think that actually, these results are quite good for a side. It's like getting like a bad result in the Champions League group stage. You iron out the kinks, you know? Uh, when Manchester United got beaten 3-2 by Middlesbrough, I think it was in 99, they went on the run after that because it really forced them to iron out, you know, the counter-attack. They left themselves too open and they just, you know, it allows them to align certain things. And I think you look at Liverpool, for example, when they can see that goal to Fornals, there was that clash between Van Dijk, I think, and uh, when they're running yeah, back, you see it. What is going on? And, and he, sho- he shoves, I think he shoves Trent Alexander-Arnold. And they're like, I like to see that because they're going to watch that film back, work out their movement, and that's not going to happen again. You know, ch- a chance to iron out the kinks before we go for the big trophies. And I think the same with Chelsea. What's really encouraging for them is Callum Hudson-Odoi is playing some beautiful football and combining yeah. really well. He's looked really good the last couple of games. I think it's, and also Brentford have been on a real run. I think sometimes when you have a defeat like this to a team you're not expecting to lose to, 
it allows you to kind of like, it releases the safety valve. I think there's been a little bit, the, the one challenge for Brentford is you can be a victim of your own expectations. Yeah, I mean, four straight defeats though for Brentford in the league. Uh, Chelsea, Leicester, the Burnley one and the Norwich one, I think. These are the two be... ones, these are the two ones you wouldn't. Burnley, I think you can take or leave, but the, this is the first one where you look at and go, this is actually just, just a bad result. You can yeah, have a but, run of bad form, but this is but they a were bad. Okay. Yeah, they were okay yeah. against Burnley. I think the Burnley one was probably the biggest disappointment because they just didn't play that well. And they leapt out against, Burnley kind of leapt out on them, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, I think they played all right against Norwich, but they had, they, they had trouble beating Norwich in the championship last season. Do you so, think Burnley surprised them as well in terms of how they came out? Maybe. I mean, maybe. that's probably the most impressive I've seen Burnley. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. They really, they went, they went at them. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's talk about the Manchester derby because... Let's do it. Let's do it. This was such a strange game of football. Can I say, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Kelly Cates, by the way, who probably won the weekend from a football coverage point of view. A, how she kept it all together on Sky yeah. after the game anyway, but also when they were going over and over and over the second goal and Micah Richards and Graham Souness were arguing, her look to camera when Graham Souness requested another replay of it, where she said, can we have it one more time for Graham, please? was like... <laughs> Brilliant. My name's Kelly Case, and you're probably wondering how I got here. But... <laughs> <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's amazing, man. I don't know how. <laughs> I just I don't know how she does it sometimes. All right, as a Man United fan, what did you think of this game? Entirely predictable. Uh, I was talking to actually another United fan, Jenna, on Twitter, and I was just going, you know, actually, I think this was, if anything, the scoreline was lower than I expected. Um, I, I thought this would have been three or four easy, especially at a certain point in the first half. I'm actually surprised that United got as much as 33% possession. Maybe that's, in a, that's a, because they made adjustments in the second half. But in terms of the game itself, this was in its own way worse than the 5-0 against Liverpool. I, th- I, th- I think Ooh. it was worse than the 5-0. I think it was um, a little bit more um, inevitable. I think it was in terms of the complete... The result, the 5 0 Liverpool, is it's it's unbelievable to be honest. The 5 0 should be numbing, but we've normalized it. We've normalized terrible results in huge games at Old Trafford. We've normalized them. That's really dangerous. The 5 0 is like a kind of a shrug, you know? Mm. Um, the 2 0 here, the worry here is that there was no point at which Manchester United had any kind of real ascendancy. Yeah. It was just the, the, the way that City, you know, we know what City do. They did it, look, to be honest, they did this to Liverpool in the 2-2 in the first half of that game where they were just superb, the first mm. 40. Absolutely brilliant. But the thing about Liverpool was you sensed even in that there was an arm wrestle, there was a constant sense of counterpunch. Manchester United at no point, and this is the thing, the players getting all this criticism. Can I say this, Ryan? It must be exceptionally stressful. I've never asked a United player, I've never had the, the opportunity to, but I think it must be extremely stressful and daunting knowing after a 5 0 you're going to go out and play City and knowing that your plan will very likely be inferior to theirs, whatever it is, whether it's back three or back four, the knowledge that you will not have sufficient coaching in the right areas. And I see a lot of criticism, individual players. I saw Roy Keane tearing into Fred, which I really don't like. I don't like that. When a team has been set up, Ryan, where there are overloads all over the pitch, you can't, it's hard enough against City when you're going toe-to-toe when you've got a good system. It's hard enough, Ryan. Everyone's going after Shaw. Oh, Shaw looks this, Shaw looks that. Maguire, even Maguire getting criticised. Ryan, the two goals that got conceded were stress-related. You will not see a bigger example of stress-related goals. Like, Bailly concedes that and slices it to a net. The amount of pressure prior to that, the amount of pressure, the, the, the analogy I draw to is, you know, sometimes you watch these photos on, um, you see these photos of highways that have collapsed under intense rainfall, where there's like, 
in, in 48 hours, a month's worth of rain will fall. <laughs> yeah. That was, and, and, and the cracks appear. That was United's defence against City. This, and, and that defence, the defensive problems don't come just, you defend as a team. So you defend with the first press, then the, then the midfield. So by the time the ball gets to defence, the pressure is so overwhelming, you're going to concede goals that look worse than they are. But it's because you're having to repel so much because your forwards aren't pressing Kuwait into fashion. They're not together. They're not bunching. So it's, what happened to United was it was just a, it was a stress fracture all over the body, all over the skeleton, if that makes sense. Um, so this is not, I'm, I'm not going to blame individuals for this. I think this is on, this is on the coach. I think it's, well, there's too many individual errors and failures for it to be an individual problem. You can throw out a thing at Aaron Wan-Bissaka and say like, you need to close the cross down. Yes, absolutely. Or you can say, oh, Bruno Fernandes, you need to maybe step out and read that pass, that square pass that goes to Cancelo in the first place. Yeah. But that comes from a, that yes, comes it, from a it, level of intensity right. that is down to the coach. The thing that I would be really, really alarmed about now is how boring this game was. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's what yeah. I would be alarmed about the most. I'm sorry if we've talked about this a million times because it must be really, really annoying for Manchester United fans because it's kind of like, I don't think it's anywhere near divisive as it used to be. I think no. now people are like, yeah, they know. You know, like Carl got absolutely roasted. Yeah, can I say this? Like, I have to say this. I have to say this. They, the way that people pursued Carl Anker for saying what he said about Manchester United's structure was shameful. Yeah, it was. Here's yeah. the thing. It's not easy to say these things. No one likes, some might think we enjoy harping on these things. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a legend at Manchester United, right? It gives people no, his legacy, a key part of his legacy now will be this. And people didn't want this for him, right? So it takes, it's very, very difficult to speak, you know, Carl's a Manchester United fan. It's very difficult to speak these things. He wants the best for the club. Exactly. You do. You do. And you want the best for Solskjaer in terms of his legacy as well. Nobody wants this, right? And you look at this team that was put out there and people going after certain players. I, I don't like, also I have to say this as well, the behaviour of certain pundits. And this, I think it's connected to like, you know, we have players coming out on social media doing these apologies after games. People don't oh, like don't, it. But, but no one cares. Like you don't, you thing. do not have to apologise for scoring your own goal. It's part of football. Like, you know, I think this, you know, I think this happens. I think this partly happens because they know that they will get the blame primarily. It's mm -hmm. not like a, it's not a Mourinho situation at Chelsea where Mourinho just came in and was like, you know, first era Mourinho at Chelsea was absolutely masterful at deflecting all attention. And that was a deliberate thing before it became an ego trip for him. I genuinely think Mourinho's thing, Mourinho's, Mourinho, Mourinho's Mourinho. thing was, Mourinho, <laughs> he's now evolving. I genuinely think Mourinho's intention in that first spell at Chelsea was to deflect attention. Uh, so they wouldn't have to come out in the, in the case of a bad result, which they didn't really get anyway. True. But I think time, I think players feel uniquely exposed by this. Yeah. It doesn't help the United, you know, we saw before, we're having sentiment reports on social media. We're, we're going up to, you know, we're going up to United players twice a day and telling them what people are telling about on social media. No Ryan, thanks. if someone came up to me twice a day and said, oh, by the way, all those accounts that you muted and blocked are saying this about you. Yeah, I, I mean, think like, I, you know, it's yeah. more like, I'm like, Musa, do us a favour, don't log in for, to Twitter for like another, I don't know, day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just best for you. But yeah, it's, it's just all a mess. And I, the thing that would really bug me if I was a United fan is that they stumbled on a system that works for one game against Spurs and then continue to play that against what Atalanta and in the derby against two vastly different teams, three vastly different teams, the same system just because it works for that. And they've clearly changed it as a, re as a reactive change, but therefore against 
different opposition with, with that poses a different set of skills, they play the same thing and expect the same result or a, or a better result out of it. There's no way. There's no way that against Atalanta, I think I said this on the, on the Champions League podcast last week, there's no way they should have played that lineup. And there's no way they should have played that lineup this weekend, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's... I mean, put it this way. A quarter of the managers who started the Premier League season have been fired. And... Um, yeah, we don't want anyone to lose their job. We get that. But like... United, I mean, if United come good towards the end of the season, then I'm sure it's going to be an interesting thing. To I think the Glazers, I think the Glazers done, they've done many terrible things at Manchester United. And one of them is actually allowing, I mean, look, Solskjaer as an adult can take care of himself. But in terms of like stewardship of someone's legend, this is not, this is not a high priority for a club at all. But if you want this person to be regarded as someone without, without blemish in the eyes of United fans. You act sooner. You do the thing differently. Yep. But I think, yeah, but anyway, it's, um, it's a bizarre... Um, way bizarre too situation. easy for Manchester City. That second goal, by the way, is honestly one of the strangest things I've ever seen on a football pitch. Because even though it's a perfectly legal goal, mm. it was so strange or so bizarre from Manchester United's point of view that even Man City players looked like they were questioning whether a decision should be made. It was the this. perfect microcosm, I think, of David De Gea's late era Manchester United career. Just completely, you know, game. like, you know, like basically like overwhelmed, overwhelmed, like an absolute onslaught for the entire half and then to finish with a substandard piece of positioning. Mm. It's the kind of thing that early era David De Gea looks at and goes, I catch that. I watch that onto my glove. You know, like it just doesn't happen. So weird because up to that point, he'd been absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's very strange, very strange. Um, aye, aye, aye. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. They'll get a last minute winner a couple of seasons, a couple of weeks from now and they'll get like big headlines. Oh, what a comeback the United way and they'll have a bad defeat and it'll just keep going ebbing and flowing. That's it. That's it really. Uh, Daniel Farker and Dean Smith both both lost their jobs on the weekend. They did. Daniel Farker, I can understand, despite him winning Norwich's first game of the season. Mm. Um, I think that's probably something they should have moved on ages ago, but I just assumed that they were okay with yo-yoing for a bit. Mm. Um, the Dean Smith one I find a bit curious because they've, they've had some injury problems this season, and I know they've been on a bit of a worrying bunch, like run of form. Yeah. I genuinely thought he'd have more credit in the bank. Do you know what? It's a tough one. I think, I just wonder if they looked at the pandemic as not fully representative. Some of those early results in the season, Maybe. not representative of the entire season. The way they ended the last season wasn't the best. The way they began, this wasn't the best. Integrating new players and they just felt it was time for something, someone new. Mm. Because even, even, you know, it's not scientific, you know, the kind of the responses on Twitter, but the, there's a sense with the Villa fans of like devastated, really sad. We get it, but we're also so sad because someone made a beautiful point. They said the combination of Grealish and Dean Smith, two people that absolutely love the club was so special mm. to come up from the championship with them at the helm was so special. We might never see that again. So there's a kind of, a, having said that, can I say this to Villa fans? I disagree with that. I'd be more optimistic because given the quality of the youth coming through at Villa that I've seen. I'm, blow I'm so excited by the Villa youth. So I think, I think you might have a Dean Smith type character again. I think it's possible that you could promote them within. So I don't think it's, in the short term, I get you'd be despondent. 
But the, the Villa fans I saw on Twitter generally were kind of like, just really gutted about it. Like, and they could see the reasoning for it, but also like, let's take a moment to just acknowledge the, the contribution. Mm. Because again, like, this is the thing, you've got Barcelona, right? It's a silly comparison that may seem to draw, but like, Villa have such a football identity, right? People don't really always realize, but Villa have a very particular style, identity of playing, a way of playing, which in its own ways is important to them as, you know, as Barca, like what Villa really meant, particularly in the 80s, right? Brilliant, brilliant team. Yeah, European Cup winners, man. And Dean Smith brought so much of that back. Like Villa at their best were genuinely, under Dean Smith, thrilling to watch. Yeah, they were great. With Greedish as the crown jewels. It's almost like, I know I'm just saying that maybe kind of like slightly giving Ian Wright style flowers, but I don't want the second, which is so sad to detract from the joy that Smith brought Villa fans and also obviously Fark brought Norwich fans. Bit of time out, there'll be Premier League jobs for him, I think. I should hope so. Let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about another managerial thing very, very briefly. I forgot to mention in uh, part one, uh, when we were talking about the Manchester derby, Roy Keane's admission on national television of an existential tackle. So he was talking about a derby and he was just like, you know, even if I was playing bad or we were getting hammered, I'd go and kick someone or something like that, get myself a book in, you know what I mean? Just because. <laughs> <laughs> to feel something. To feel something. <laughs> we got him. We yeah. got him. <laughs> we were talking about managers before. Barcelona have a new manager, Javi Hernandez, is returning to the club to save them. Yes. <laughs> we're going to save talking about this so much. We're going to do it probably after his first game in charge because we've talked about it before. We've talked about Barca quite a lot at managerial and board level. And um, can I say this well, very quickly? Because about- it's the men's international break, we're probably going to get overwhelmed with lots and lots and lots of wonderful Javi hashtag content. So, yes. Can I say this very quickly about Xavi? Just on the appointment of Xavi. I don't know what that show is where Donald Glover has, goes out for pizza and comes back in and everything's on fire. <laughs> I think it's is it community. <laughs> it's a community. I feel like that's. Chavi just steps out to get a bit of pizza and comes back in. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, but instead of getting the pizza, he went and won the Qatari lottery. So that's, yeah, mm, interesting. Still, that, yeah. still can't believe he won the lottery. What a lucky boy. Wow, unbelievable. Wow, um, yeah, wow. Yeah, we'll talk about that after Barca's first game in charge yeah. uh, under him. First game under him, let's say. Uh, let's talk about Barca very, very quickly because they, were, they raced to a 3 0 league away at Celta. Iago Aspas ended up getting the equaliser for Celta deep into injury time at the end of the game. Was it 95th minute? Listen, never count Iago out. Unbelievable Shakespeare trying to tell you. Never, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was an unbelievable goal. And I think uh, I'm right in saying Alexandra Johnson wrote this. I think uh, he's been involved in 12 goals in 12 games against Barca. He is supernatural against them. He's absolutely supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing, man. Like, Do you ever how like, Sergio Aguero used to go after Barca? It's like that. Mm. Same thing. He's got a taste for it. It was like the ex-Premier League dudes doing business on Barca like Nolito got the other one. <laughs> the one thing for Barcelona, I would say, the one slight consolation is the goals were all quite good. Like, they all were quite good goals. Like, the Nolito's header. But yeah, also like, this is the real problem with this game, of course, is the injury to Ansu Fati. Oh, another one. Yeah, we've done cr- crutches after the game. What have we done? What, what have we done as a society that this boy get these... It, it must be a collective fault. Something in the water. Whenever I see Ansu Fati injury, I just feel, I feel sick. Because that's the, the only thing stopping Ansu Fati from being top five player in the world consistently for the next few years is injury at this point. He's mm-hmm. just that good. I think he's that good. Um, yeah. A massive shout to, uh, to Celta in this game. Um, it's really funny. They've, 
Uh, Barca have only beaten Celta once in their last four. One more thing about this. Uh, Eduardo Cude baffling touchline attire. <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't short see sleeve, it. Sh- short sleeve shirt and a scarf. Confusing. I saw, I saw some anger. Do you know what it is? I've seen... I've seen some, I saw a tweet about this from a different timeline. Somebody said, watch out. It's that time in LA where people are coming out with scarves and tank tops. Beware. I was like, wow, Confusing. he's maybe, maybe he's plugged into that energy. Confusing. Let's talk about another 3-3 because that wasn't the only late equaliser in a 3-3 game in La Liga this weekend. At Mestalla, Atleti had, had <laughs> they got caught up. They were 3-1 up against Valencia thanks to Technically scoring four goals, Savage getting the own goal for Valencia. Suarez, lovely goal. Antoine Griezmann's goal was absolutely amazing in this game. It's wonderful. Why does he keep dancing though? Well, that's the thing about we've we've mentioned this before about Griezmann. Griezmann's just when like, I root, just when I root for Griezmann, when you score, just celebrate. Don't throw in the silly nonsense. Like do you know, I really, really, I really Griezmann. It's like you know, it's like you know, in the UK now, we're, we're like we're really trying to get our trade deal on. It's a bit like if we go and get a really good trade deal for once. And then at the end of it, start making fart noises. It's like, it's like, can't we just have the, can we not just have the gravitas to accompany the moment? <laughs> wow. Hugo Duro getting two in stoppage time at the end of the game in Love the 92nd minute and the 96th minute to level and share the points. Um, Pepe Bordalas was going absolutely <laughs> wild, wild, wild on the touchline. <laughs> this was a worrying one for Well, it's the same with the Barca one, right? So Barca had the game so much in control and Atleti, they were good. They were really mm. good for it. This is the problem with Atleti this season is that they are shipping so many, just in games that you would never see them concede. They're like a very, they're like a child that's been very, very, very good. Like perfectly behaved in school. All of a sudden, like, you know, you're smoking around the back of the bike sheds and like, you've got to like, Got your first tattoo wearing a leather jacket. It's like, hang on a minute. What's happened to my nice boy? Like my disciplined boy. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like a, I don't know, like you take like the, the deer equivalent of like a winter soldier, but it's still, so it's absolutely, <laughs> this deer is absolutely jacked, but it's kind of still <laughs> learning to walk like a baby deer. <laughs> yes. So it's like this really confusing kind of potentially super dangerous destroyer deer thing. Oh, like in Robocop, the early robots. It's like those. Oh, is that has already been done. Sorry, guys. Thanks, Musa. Jesus. No, sorry. Well, in that sorry. case, do you know what? In that case, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to move on. Too. No one knows. Listen, nobody, Ryan. I can guarantee that 99 percent of the people listening to this podcast were not alive when that was when Robocop was out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember seeing that as a kid, and it really freaked me out. It's terrifying. Real Madrid beat Rio at the Bernabeu on Saturday night. Tony Kroos's goal was so good. By the Incredible! Way. It's in, this, is, this is what I mean. Incredible Tony Kroos goal with no fuss. Yep. You know, hits well, it. The, the, he was like, "Ah, oh, VAR, what?" And it was like so. Like Vinicius was so clearly onside, and they spent like a minute and a half trying to figure this out. When like, is the last, When's the only time he actually hit the ball hard? Like, as in, when I say hard, as in more than seventy-five percent of maximum power. I think mm. it was the free kick against um, Sweden in the uh, maybe the World Cup, and that's the only time I've seen him hit the ball actually, without just like creaming you know what I mean like a gorgeous finish for this one and one that you have to watch again several times just to understand the majesty so So good and Benzema's goal was really good as well and the ball from David Alaba was so sick David Alaba is slightly just he's having a lovely time yeah he's a great time Radamel Valcao has scored again though love Valcao so Real Madrid went top temporarily until Sunday evening 
when Real Sociedad beat Osasuna 2-0 to go back to the top of La Liga. And the final game of the weekend in Spain was El Gran Derby. Sorry, the only reason I'm laughing is because I just watched the game, but also like I was you know, following the uh, Spanish football podcast thing and it said, oh, it was its first bit of needle in the game. And of course it was Diego Carlos involved. I was yeah, like, of course, <laughs> booking, booking for Carlos. Is there anything more on brand than Diego Carlos being responsible for the first bit of needle in the derby? <laughs> we had uh, Antonio Mateo Leos who was riffing, who Perfect. could not wait to give Guido Rodriguez his second yellow card. <laughs> so much so that he kind of had both of them. He did the, it was a real like, pow, pow, yellow red, yellow <laughs> red, you're off, late yellow red. And uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a second well, yellow. Well, you know, it's funny because as I saw him raise the second card, because I was watching it, and I, I saw this, the translation of the Spanish, just his lips, the lip reader was like, he actually said, you knew what this was. <laughs> 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 he didn't, but I wish he did. Oh, that was all just before half time. Bear in mind, it was nil nil in the first half. And yeah. then Sevilla just had all of the balls. They applied the half. pressure. Yeah, they played the pressure. Marcos Acuna's goal. Talk about was, well hit goals. Oh Marcos Acuna's goal was so good. So it hit, it has hit, and it stayed hit. Do you know what, though? <laughs> like, we were talking about a couple of wayward finishes from Barkley earlier on. And I know they're in different scenarios with different pressure and stuff. Like Acuna was kind of running onto this. He had a lo- lovely layoff from Lucas Acampos. Mm. And, um, and, um, but if you look at the slow-mo of it, yes, the body shape and the mm. control, it's just like, it's the, it's a pure it's stereotypical thing of just like, let the ball do the work. Well, it's, it's, the it's the cross thing. You, when, when you watch, we watch certain people strike yeah. the ball. It's as if they're giving a workshop you know when, when you see them when you see Acuna so strike because he actually had one early like a range find as, yeah. as did Barkley he had like a range finder and then you hit that so clean it's like man it's such a good goal and then poor Hector Bayering got uh, got, got an own goal and he oh. looked genuinely devastated I just wanted well, to well the worst thing was and the worst thing was it wasn't like a kind of it was worse than Bayer's own goal Bayer's own goal wasn't great but you can see it that was, was quite a nice finish Hector's <laughs> this is the problem it was off the, off the right foot like and it was he could have done other things with it. Mm. <sighs> Such a lack of confidence with the left foot as well, wasn't it? You could see that. Yeah. But he got the converging player. You know, you can see why he does it because he's worried about the converging player. He goes for it with the foot. He's more confident with it, but his body position's all wrong. But the problem is he's quite far out as well. It's not like a goal line one when he slashes it in. Like, he'll have to wear that for a while. Yeah. It's, it's a good result for Sevilla. They pulled out a little bit of a gap on Atleti now. So the top four in La Liga is as follows. Real Sociedad on 28 points, having played a game more. Then Real Madrid on 27, Sevilla on 27. Sevilla with the best defensive record in La Liga, by the way. Only conceded seven goals. Atleti third, on, sorry, Atleti fourth on 23 points. And then you've got Betis on 21, having played 13 games. Rio on 20 and Osasuna on 19, down to seventh. Let's jump to Italy it's and good. another derby. The derby della Madonnina. Hey, this was a game. It was a really good game. This was oh a game. Oh my God. Uh, Chalanoglu, by the way. No muted a- celebration. <laughs> Fuck your muted celebration. <laughs> Penalty for Chalanoglu in, what, 11 minutes, after 10, 11 minutes? He yes. got brought down himself. It was a like strange Kessier. one, this, strange because fan. Kessier seemed to have like, it was like someone had sat on the controller on FIFA and the yeah. guy was going, the I was like, where's Kessier go? Where's it looked like he was attacking Frank. his own box. He made such yeah. a good run. I was like, oh wow, this is incredible. I was like, what are you doing? They went to VAR and they had a good long look at it. Mm. What I think Kessier has done here, he has tried to 
root his leg in between yes. Chalanoglu's to get the foul. Yes. So actually, I think it's a really good decision. It's a great decision. It's, it's I quite a it really brave good. decision, actually. I thought it was really good, really good. But they've kind of, uh, that, that's one of those like, oh shit, I've been rumbled. I thought it was a really good decision, actually. Yeah. Um, had a good penalty too. Good penalty. It was a good uh, penalty, yeah. Not sure why he didn't take the next one, but anyway, another story. Um, so and then an equaliser for um, Milan, not too long after. Free on goal. Yes, uh, a first. Tomori ran off like he'd scored it. <laughs> that was quite this funny. was naughty. This was it's naughty a, from Fakaro. It's always a bit naughty. cheeky. This, was it like Moise Kane? Was the one that happened in the um, Juve got the other? It was. Um, it was a uh, when you think one player scored, but another one has. Mm. It was quite. It's always quite funny watching a player wheel the win. And Tomori really went off. It was really giving it like really giving it the big one. It, it was. Came up front. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was quite funny that to be honest. I quite like him and Kiara as a as a partnership. I love Kalulu as well. Yeah, actually, I really like I really like some of the defensive pieces. Actually, Milan, I got to say, yeah. When, when, when obviously when um, when Clodo came on, that, that was so that was only that was only just after a quarter of an hour as well. So this game exploded into action. The first half hour or so was probably actually the best bit of the game. But the last five was quite tasty. The last yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say before we get to the, the final five minutes, which was amazing. Shout out to Tatarasanu's save from Latarmatinis' oh penalty, God, yeah. because that was an absolutely brilliant save. It's a very good penalty. Like when he puts his hand to it, gets his right hand to it, only about like three, four inches off the ground. It's well struck and well positioned, mm -hmm. but he gets a really strong wrist to it. Those are quite often the penalties you see. You know, often you see a penalty go in where the keeper gets the hand to it, it goes inside netting. This, he gathered it. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a really good save. It's an incredible save. But yeah, just in terms of the, um, the game itself, I think I mentioned earlier that Ibrahimovic was isolated for large periods. Not, not really his fault. You could maybe argue they could have sacrificed him for some more speed, but I think having him as a pivot was the right thing because it pinned Inter back. I think that Pioli didn't get the tactics wrong. I think it was just a really well-coached game from both, it's both a derby, coaches. And they're second and third in the league. Yeah, know? it was well-coached. Um, I sounded very uh, Italian. No, you're right. It's, it's, a, a, derby. Derby. it's a derby. It's can a I just say as well, can I say, the thing that makes me laugh so much because I've moved to Italy is how quickly foreign players start doing the hand gestures. Oh my God, dude. That, if I live there, I do it in a heartbeat. Dude, I do it at the state. I do, I, I do not do. I go through the airport and instead of giving my passport, I would appeal the historic decision with my fingers. They'd be like, oh, come straight through. No need well, for know, papers. You've seen ah. my Bruno Minari print that I have, right? No, I've not seen it. No, no, <laughs> it's no. like a sign. It's the hand signals to accompany the Italian dictionary. <laughs> it's just all of these different <laughs> hand gestures. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like a really old print. From me. Oh, gosh. Um, it was a good game. It's good derby. And yeah, probably, I think, so. probably a fair result. I think so. I think yeah. so. No one could be really that. I mean, especially because Napoli drew with Hellas Verona. Hellas are on a little bit of a... Simeone as well. Again. Tidy little run. Simeone, the great finish there. Yeah. yeah. So not drastic. The top three is as they were. I mean, Inter could have done with a win just to reel those top two in a little bit, but... It's interesting how, it's interesting how those two have pulled clear. Considering how good Serie A has been, mm -hmm. I find it really interesting how Napoli and Milan have already got that seven-point jump on people. Yeah. Speaks a lot to their quality, I think, yeah. Uh, it really does. Let's talk about one other game in Venice. Oh my goodness. Venezia took the lead very, very, very early on against Roma. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Who got back into the game with two quick fire goals just before half time from um, Shumarodov and Abraham. Caldara opening the scoring for Venezia. And then it, you kind of thought that would, that would be it. But oh no! But then again, I think to my yeah, oh I did, no, I did. Oh no. But then I thought I did. But then I thought why? It's like that meme, that that TikTok meme. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Someone, can someone do a Jose Mourinho dedicated old no account? Like, yeah. so, like just only things with Jose Mourinho. Isn't it funny that two coaches who've built their entire reputations on superb defence, having defences that are cracking at the moment, the Simeone Mourinho thing. Know. Now, in, in Simeone's case, there's vindication or no mitigation because he's clearly transitioned towards something fundamentally more sustainable and better, mm. right? I think in the context of the modern game. Whereas Mourinho, it's not clear, you know, we said this in it's multiple jobs now, the evidence is pretty much in. Oh my God. We picked him up early in the season. We did. We did absolutely. But he started quite well. Yes. But also we just felt for the first time in a long time, this place felt like maybe like a home. Then they lose to Venezia. Shouts to Ethan Ampadu for the assist, by the way, for the third. It was a lovely ball. Yeah. The penalty, I'm 50-50 on, to be honest. I can't, I, I, Serie A and VAR and penalties this season has been a little bit experimental and I think it's just kind of like, it is quite yeah. vibey. But um, can I just read you a couple of things that Jose said afterwards? Yeah. Okay, you ready? <laughs> How is it possible to create so much and then not score? Do you know who's asked that question? Many, many managers who have played Jose Mourinho size in the past. Damn. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, it's wild. We conceded the first goal on the set play that we had practiced yesterday and still got the defending wrong. I could have talked about the players who should have got yellow cards for tactical fouls. How gracious that he didn't. This is my favourite. Oh my Another God. important part of the story is Venezia's second goal. I have to protect myself here. This is literally a few days after he rolled out another version of the... If I don't speak, do you, I'm going to be trouble. Do you know what he is? He's the football in Mike Oldfield. Oh no, the same Just, tune. Release the same tune every summer. <laughs> Tubular Bells 9. It's like, oh my yeah, goodness. we get it, Mike. But the problem is, the problem is you keep releasing these things. It's like he's not... Um, this is the thing, Wenger kept coming out with new lines. Yeah. Wenger kept coming out with new lines. Ferguson changed his approach and Mourinho cannot evolve. If I speak, I'm in big trouble. Yeah, and the thing, the problem is, it feels a bit like. Um, do you know when there was? Do you know what it feels? Do you know what it feels like? Do you know what it feels like? There's Oscar Niemeyer like architecture, this beautiful, like you know, futuristic, and you see it, and you're like, that's the f- every every building in the future is going to look like that. Mm. Every building in the future, and you look at Oscar Niemeyer, you love it. It's amazing, right? In the same way you watch Chelsea, you're like, oh, I love it, but it's not the future. Like as you, when there was a time when Chelsea was so amazing, you thought that every single. Chelsea team for the next five, 10 years was going to play like that. 15 years was just going to, that was the enemy's style. And it didn't quite work out that way. Um, not that Mourinho is not amazing or an innovator, but like the game just went a different way. And I feel like this is me trying to be not harsh, not unfair, because he's a brilliant manager and still one of the greatest managers of all time. It's just that I genuinely think he's at a situation where, I know you're a big Formula One fan, right? It's like trying to, trying to like, you know, take the corners a certain way and just can't take them that way Dude, anymore. I just don't think Jose likes football anymore. And as soon as you don't you really like football, think I, just don't think he, I just don't think he's into it anymore. Daniel Story wrote a really good tweet, by the way, saying, Jose Mourinho's Roma accounted for over 20% of all the transfer fees paid in Serie A over the summer. He's now won four of his last 12 matches and could be 15 points off the top. The decline is real. Yeah. Can I say this about Roma as well? The sad thing about this is, they have played in patches some really, really exciting stuff. Yeah. Genuine people were genuinely talking earlier on the season about whether they could win their first Scudetto in 20 years. Yeah. And that's the thing about Mourinho, even when, you know, it's like, it's like I won't name novelists because I want to drag them into it, but like certain novelists, even when they're not writing their best, there's, there's pages, paragraphs, chapters like, oh my goodness, no one writes like this person. 
And there's bits of Mourinho, there's, there's intensity, the way that, you know, that he bonds with this, you know, there's classic yeah. things like, you know, bonding with Tammy yeah. Abraham, like he loves a number nine, like he yeah. loves, he builds a confidence up. And again, Tammy Abraham, some of Tammy Abraham's form this year, a difficult period before scoring in this match, he needed that goal. It was a beautiful goal as well. And it was a classic centre forward goal. He's been busy though. He's been busy and he's been... He like- has been busy. And I've got to say, can I say this as well to, for him? His goal against Venezia was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And but I, he's, and I, you can see that he's really taken on like a senior, already yeah, like taken on it. a senior role it. there. Yeah. yeah. And this is what's so great about Mourinho, like in certain cases, if you want that responsibility, he gives it to you, right? Mm. He really likes players that will seek responsibility and, and chase the ball um, and make things happen. It's just a shame. It's a shame for his legacy, regardless of, you know, how I feel about him individually. It's a shame for his legacy that someone who's achieved so much and been a standard bearer for so much has had these has had these mm. stumbles in the sort of latter latter era, alas. Good win for Venezia. Though it's only their third in the league this season, they needed it. They yeah, really great needed for them. Uh, let's quickly jump to the Bundesliga very, very, very quickly because RB Leipzig beat Dortmund two one on Saturday night in the top spiel de Vocca. A lot of people drawing some big sweeping conclusions from this game, which I didn't agree with. If I'm being honest, I thought Dortmund were pretty dreadful in the first half, probably their poorest half of the season under Rosa. They have nine injuries. And right, a yeah, lot of those injuries, yeah. probably five or six would be pushing for a start. Definitely seven would be in the match day squad. So they aren't just fringe players. There's a, you know when things are bad, when actually losing Marius Wolf, and this is no disrespect to Marius Wolf, but the reason that I'm using him as an example is that this is a guy who's been on loan at Cologne and Hertha in the last couple of years. Not exactly a, a core, key, key, core, core Dortmund yeah, core player, starter, right? Yeah, but yeah, losing him course. is actually a problem. But that coincided with probably... Leipzig's best performance under Marsh I think this season still Danny Olmo to come back in as well so it's not like they have 100% full fitness but I think that they were far stronger in terms of personnel to what Dortmund had available to them and Kunku balling out again yeah I mean he's been one of the Bundesliga players of the season without a Mm. doubt this year for Marsh it was more of a kind of like optics win Mm. needed that win I think there are very very easily compartmentalised reasons for the defeat for Dortmund yeah. Uh, and they just really needed the international break because of the injuries. And a few of those players will be back after the international break, hopefully for Dortmund. So it's much needed because they're still in touch and distance. I think they're only a few points off Bayern with Bayern coming to Dortmund, I think, early December. So the Bundesliga is hotting up a little bit. Bayern, meanwhile, ended Freiburg's unbeaten run. However, weirdly, I thought Freiburg came out of this probably even stronger that they went into it despite losing. But it wasn't like a Leverkusen-style capitulation. Yeah. No, yeah. they only lost 2-1. Bayern had to work for it, work it. Neuer, Neuer got tested hard. as well. Neuer got tested. Haven't you got a piece on them coming soon? Yeah, it's been a bit delayed because I wanted to Add get a couple of extra well. bits in. But um, I just think very, very encouraging from yes, great, great to strike. See. Elsewhere in the Bundesliga, there were a load of draws. And uh, Florian Kofeld again for Wolfsburg. <laughs> they, they beat Augsburg 1-0. Two opening results, Bochum beating Hoffenheim. A wild goal in this game. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> uh, what was it, like 60, 66 metres? Slide will finish, like as a bowling finish, wasn't it? <sighs> Into the open net. Yeah, just curved it. Bielefeld beating Stuttgart at Stuttgart. Stuttgart are on a tricky run of form, man. They need to be careful. They've haven't, they haven't won since beating Hoffenheim on the 2nd of October. And that was only winning their last 11 in all comps. Struggling a little bit in their second season back up. Any other results from the Bundesliga you want to touch on while we're here? Uh, maybe the two all was fun. The Union uh, Köln was fun. The two all, yes, yeah, that's just that's just that's just a fun game, really. Not too much to report other than good vibes. And two, actually, I've got to say, 
in terms of an away day, going from Cologne to Union or vice versa, that's got to be as good an away day as you'll get. Oh, like in terms of the, train ride though. Yeah, it's a bit oh, that's a long old train ride. Yes, you know? well, you say you say that you say that, but if you've got your friends and like some good vibes, it's nothing at all. And a load of beers, exactly, or beverages of your choice, because you know we're an inclusive podcast. Yeah, but we're in Germany, so <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> Come on, it's the country of the veg beer. That is true. That is absolutely. <laughs> I reckon we'll leave it there today. Huh? We swerved a couple of things, but um, yeah, we'll pick we'll, up we'll, on Whitey's we'll house. On them. Yeah, we'll pick up. We'll give a lot and of shout out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's get out of here then. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer for some. So I should say, whenever you say safe and well, I just think of pace and power. I don't know why. It's because you're racist, Musa. That's why. Anyway, as I was saying before, I was really rudely interrupted by this horrible gentleman. We hope everyone's staying pace and power. Ringer.com forward slash soccer. Don't forget to check Righty's House on Wednesday and Friday, our bonus episode bonus episode this week. We are printsocial.com forward slash stadio if you want to go and buy the Stadio number eight sweater. All of the proceeds go into the Trussell Trust, supporting UK food banks and aiming to eradicate food poverty in the UK. Stadio Watchers players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we are playing out on the Don, Tim Meyer trackled over again because this chaos Musa it's every weekend it's just over it again is. it's over and over and over again <laughs> any parting words no it's all good you said it so well oh, thanks very much uh, <laughs> much love everyone we will see you for the uh, the other two righty's house and then we'll be back next week for Stadio see you then open ladders when you're done now waiting for news I'm gonna try I'm gonna try Bye.
Bye.